Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, Forthright Women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to thrive as a female in a male-dominated work environment. So I'm an engineer by background and spent my first 10 years in, at P&G in R&D. So my first eight were in packaging, which is a very highly dominated male environment, both in terms of colleagues and bosses. But that being said, I spent 20 years at P&G as a whole. And you would think with all this diversity efforts and all of the efforts that it's done in order to be able to raise women, it still has yet to name its first female CEO and still has a disproportionate amount of males in senior positions. So even in functions that are more evenly allocated male-female, like branding and marketing, it's still dominated by male leadership. Now, don't worry, okay? This, guys, this is not going to be a feminist episode. We're not going to go there. But it is one that clearly recognizes reality and that there is still a struggle for women to thrive and rise in male-dominated work environments. So we're going to actually address that today. Yeah, and I would say I experienced the same, quite honestly, on the agency side. I've talked in previous episodes about the Mad Men era in various ways and applications, and this also applies here. So while the amount and respect of women and what they can do versus men is catching up, at the top of agencies, you still see very few women and very many males. And I kind of feel like in many cases, we were always waiting for them, honestly, to age out. Mm-hmm. Um but they just resist going. So anyway, and as Anne said, this is not meant to be a feminist episode. So what I'll say is that I worked hard to work with what I had in each situation, knowing that the industry was what it was, and I couldn't change it overnight. But I do feel like I got better and better at building myself and other women up in the process. Uh, But we're still dealing with what we're dealing with. So that's what we're talking about in today's episode. Yep. And with that, let's jump into how to thrive as a female in a male-dominated work environment. Okay, point number one, don't defer your power. So it's hard to believe that it's been 20 years since John Gray wrote his book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And it's amazing that it still holds true today, especially in the work environment. So the reality of the situation is that men still hold many positions of power. And in male-dominated work environments, men still dictate the circles that form in terms of workplace bonding. We call these boys clubs. We've talked about these a lot, right? They're still very highly prevalent. But this can be extremely frustrating for women as it's hard to relate to their male counterparts because we're from Venus. And when these circles also include their male bosses, which tends to happen a lot at the C-suite level, they feel even further ostracized, even if they're part of the C-suite as well. So this causes a lot of feelings of frustration, of irrelevance, of futility. It just becomes a really, really big struggle. But what happens is that women still stake their value on what these men think of her, regardless of whether their opinions are valid or not. And when we as women do this, we give our power to someone who's actually from a different planet, (laughs) and we use that to define our worth and success. It just kind of feels a little ludicrous when you actually say it out loud, but everybody knows and all you women know that you've done it at one point in time, right? 
Now, I'm not saying that we should not care at all what these men have to say because they could dictate our career path. And we'll talk about a little bit more how to handle that in a later point. But what I'm saying is we need to take back the power they have over defining our self-worth. Right? And we do this by redefining what success looks like and focus more on what brings us fulfillment. In a lot of, lot of cases, for a lot of women, this is in the impact we generate as a result of our work. And this is the impact we generate as a result of what our customers, our consumers, and our clients think of what we're putting out there. And then we focus on how they define our success. This is really the key here because it takes the why a little bit away from them, these men who are from Mars, and it puts it in a place that is a little bit more centered on where we tend to get our power, which is in these whys that are bigger than ourselves. So if we can stand in this why that's a little bit bigger than ourselves, we start to have a mindset shift and perspective shift that we have everybody else to think about, not just ourselves to think about. And that gives us intent to give us a lot more power when we know we're doing it for others. Yeah. And I like that because that's really how I was able to support myself better Mm -hmm. was through the thinking of if this happened to another woman, what would I do? Exactly. And so it took me out of the situation and allowed me to look at it more objectively versus emotionally. And then that helped me gauge level level of tolerance and what reaction I would have and all of those different things. And then what would I go do as a result of that? It just helped me think more about the fact that, no, I didn't have to second guess myself or, no, I wasn't wrong. It just was like a mechanism I was able to use that then I could put in place for myself moving forward and other women in supporting them. Right. And it's also a a, a thought process about Again, like measuring the impact of like what you're actually having on the world in general, right? So a lot of times it gets evaluated differently by men than it would by the population as a whole. So if you're actually doing something that's really good for the business, for the community, for women in general, like use that as the mechanism Mm -hmm. for which you assess whether or not you're having the right impact versus Mm -hmm. a man is not going to be able to totally necessarily see that what you're doing in the same way. Yes. So for him to sit there and evaluate your success based on that when his criteria is, is totally different, you're kind of talking about apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that female leaders are perfect. Um, there's still the alpha female syndrome, which is really fueled by the scarcity mindset that there can only be one female leadership position. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But they're at least from the same planet as you are. That, that's fair. Right. Better starting place. Right. So the next point about how to thrive as a female in a male-dominated work environment is don't play the victim. April. (laughs) All right. I'll take this one. But, you know, there's no doubt about it. It can suck to be in an environment that's male-dominated when you're a woman. But you have two choices. You can accept the reality and deal with it or you can leave. But whatever you do, please don't play the victim. It'll take you down a dark, dark path that can severely impact your mental and emotional health and really overall your career. Because remember, it's 
always a choice. Sometimes the options aren't ideal, but it is a choice. And I always like to say there's two kinds of people in this world. There's those where things happen to them and there's people where things happen and they go and do something about right, it. So this right. is not a male or female thing. I really think that that's how people op- people operate. But I think in not playing the victim, you don't want to be perceived as one of those people where you're always complaining that something happened to you. Mm-hmm. And many of you have asked how to deal with the male-dominated nature of the work environment without taking this mentality. So we have a few specific suggestions to give you. Number one, don't take it personally. I just talked about this. Taking mm-hmm. myself out of myself <laughs> in order to react objectively, right? And said, men are from Mars. Their language and their social currency is totally different from ours. They might say stupid things. They might say insensitive things. They might act in ways that are totally incomprehensible from us because we're from Venus. Now, if they act inappropriately, of course, that needs to be addressed by you, their boss, your boss, HR, somebody. But the way I like to think about it is building your armor. And that was something that I really worked on throughout my career, really, whether it was men or women, I think because agencies are fueled with lack of rules and big personalities and bad behavior, quite frankly, in some ways. (laughs) Um, But I always thought about it in terms of building my armor. And what I mean by that is whenever a given situation would happen and I was trying to take on an objective response to it, for me, thinking about the fact that this was going to thicken my skin or be another one I could put in my cap or whatever you want to think about because I handled it the right way, that became my objective. One of the things that I tried really, really hard to never do was cry in front of people. And mm-hmm. that is a that is a personal thing about me, which we can diagnose that on another day. Um, <laughs> and you start person there. Yeah, April, April does not cry. April. Yeah, April does not cry. Um, there's probably lots to be said about that. But I do truly think that, unfortunately, one of the perceptions which we've talked about with women is that we can be soft and tears do not help. And it's for a whole host of reasons. But, it you know, it makes people uncomfortable, especially if you're the only woman crying in front of a group of men. Like it just it did does not go well. So I know sometimes you can't control things and and I get that and I'm not trying to be insensitive here. But I do think that if you that is your reaction in situations, you're going to have to figure out how to get that under control. So things like, you know, you usually can feel it coming on, take a deep breath, say in your head to yourself, this is not personal. Mine is more that the rage starts than the tears. And so this was the method I used to get that under control. It's like, pausing before it really becomes just a complete snowball let's say in your head and you're already too far down the path of being able to rein it in remember most of the posturing is due to ego and ego comes from insecurity when it's bad yeah (laughs) um this behavior is more about the other person and if the posturing is in direct reflection of you it's because they feel threatened so recognize that for what it is and be willing to play the game, which we'll talk about in the next point, which is try and participate where it feels authentic to do so. You don't have to go as far as being one of the guys, but if there's a happy hour, go. Don't change your behavior, but participate with them. If there's an opportunity to get to know them better on a personal level, do it. But don't gravitate to the significant other group. Don't intentionally ostracize yourself by doing something like that. And then honor the rules of engagement. If you're in a meeting with a bunch of men who tend to talk all over each other, definitely do not sit politely. And you can hear the elevation of frustration (laughs) in my voice. Wait and 
to take your turn. You will never get it. So get in the middle. I don't care if you're an introvert. I don't care if you're quiet. I don't care any of those things. Make sure that your opinion is not only stated, but heard. And then do your homework and know your shit, quite honestly. If you can perform better, then that's how you beat them. And no one's going to be able to argue if, back to the armor thing, if you have a rock-solid ability to do your job to the best of your level. If you become a force to be reckoned with instead of direct competition to them, this will allow you to be better than them. And while they spend their time posturing, you can be using your time to make the plan and executing it and doing better by your job, your role, your career, and yourself. Yeah, those are... It's all really, really good advice. And just to emphasize a few points, because we get this a lot, um, and it's very, very common, and we've also been the recipients of this, where it's just like, it's just not fair. Yeah. Right? We get stuck in the, it's not fair. And you're right, it's not fair. And what April said at the very beginning is really important. You have two choices. You accept the reality, and you do something about it, or you get out. It's really your only two choices. So you have to make a conscientious choice in one of those two directions so that you can put action behind what you're going to go do mm-hmm. either way. It doesn't mean that if you choose to opt out that somehow you're a bad person and it, everybody's going to judge you. Sometimes the conditions are just such that that you mm-hmm. opt out. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. And I've done that. Yeah, I've done it too, where I'm just like, you know what? I, I just, life's too short. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to. Not a battle I'm going to fight because I'm not going to be able to change it. Right, right. So really think about that. But I think there's a couple of things that I really want you guys to hear is that do not go necessarily where it's comfortable, which is things like gravitating to the significant others when there's like a a group function. You might feel like, hey, I'm going to go talk with other women. That might be a better space. I did gloss over that point. Yeah. Yeah. But but you've automatically like put yourself in a position that you're not one of the people that are in the quote-unquote group, right? So don't inadvertently put yourself in these positions where it's easy for them to discount you, you Mm -hmm. know? Now, is it easy to stand up there with a group of guys and have a conversation? No, but you have to get yourself prepared for that. So I think that was some really good points that you you were able to, to articulate there. Thank you. The third point of how to thrive as a female in a male-dominated work environment is to play the game. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) This one can be a hard one to wrap your mind around, and we talk about this one frequently because it comes up a lot when we're talking about how to manage business relationships better, right? This is kind of like not playing the victim. Playing the game is a part of how you take action from a lot of what we're talking about. And this is recognizing that business is a game with defined rules. And your failure to recognize this means you will struggle to achieve your goals and dreams for your career. It's just that simple. You don't always get to define the rules, but you have to play by them if you want to achieve your dreams and your goals. Now, the biggest rule of operating in a male-dominated work environment is that you need to meet them where they are. You're not going to change centuries of programming by trying to go do battle. That's what April just said. So just don't do it. You need to operate from inside in order to navigate these waters and run your own agenda, all right? That sounds highly manipulative, but it's not. We all need to survive. This is just the rules of the game. And this is how you'll thrive. And this is how you'll thrive, right? So what does this look like? First, dress appropriately. You don't have to dress like a man, but remember your visual appearance plays a role in your personal brand. So as a little example... When I was very young in my career, I, um, in the very male-dominated world, I ended up wearing cowboy boots to work one day. 
I had a guy tell me about something about me and those cowboy boots and what it was what he was going to be thinking about that night. I never wore those cowboy boots oh. again to work, okay? Bad behavior. Is it bad behavior? Yes. Is it unfair? Yes. Is it borderline appropriate? Yes. Borderline? <laughs> it's more than borderline. <laughs> but what are you going to do about it, right? Right. You want to go report it? Again, it's a choice. You could go. I could have chose to report it. I chose just to not wear the cowboy boots anymore. And I kind of kept my distance a little bit, yep. right? Yep. Again, there's no judgment in the way you handle it, except for to make sure that you're making some intentional actions to handle it. And that you feel good about what you do. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I think yep. that's right on, too. The second is engaging with confidence. You can't appear timid, shy, and uncertain. You need to stand up straight. You need to make good eye contact. You need to talk in a confident voice. We talk about this all the time as being the basis for how you show up. It's very important, especially in a male-dominated world. Also, make sure you develop a strong, assertive handshake. Yeah, I'm surprised by how, like, that is not, a, like, a thing. Even with men, I'm like... I know. How is that not a thing? I don't know. I mean, that was the first thing that I was taught. Yeah. Is to like my look mom somebody. taught me that. Yes. <laughs> look them in the eye. Strong handshake. Strong, strong handshake. Yep. Show them that you mean business. Yep. All right. When it's dished out, give it back. So as we talked about the social currency being different for guys, guys tend to generate social connections with jabs, jokes, all those kind of like, you know, things that they do sometimes at other people's expenses. These may come your way. Again, don't take it personally. Give it back in a way that's authentic to you. Yeah. And I think appreciating this for what it is is really important. I mean, if they're joking with you, if you if you think about it from their perspective, it generally means you're in. They like you. If they shy away from that, I always looked at it like, ooh, they don't feel comfortable around me, right? So I always tried to look at this, again, if it wasn't inappropriate or hurtful, like truly hurtful, right. crossing a line, to think about it more like, cool, I fit in with them, and then I would just embrace it as such. And quite honestly... Sometimes that was a whole lot easier than other aspects of this, what we're talking about here. Yeah, so I, I could defend an easy myself. win. Yeah, I could yeah. defend myself in a in a joke this for that. I, I mean, you know, quick-witted enough yeah. to do that. So for that, I can I can definitely handle. If you're if you're not, um, chuckle, chuckle, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then wait for your opportunity. Yeah, right. And, or say something like, "All right, I'll remember that." I'll remember or something. That yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, next is know your audience. So men tend to be more analytical while women tend to be more emotional. This isn't a hard and fast rule, and it can vary based on industry. But just like you wouldn't take a knife to a gunfight, <laughs> you don't go in with an impassioned emotional plea to a bunch of analytical thinkers. Right? We do this all the time as women because we tend to be more emotional in nature. And we think that if we gave that big emotional plea about how it's not fair and how <laughs> we've done more work than this other person and you know, and all these sorts of things – all could be very true, absolutely true, but it's not going to in- create the engagement in the conversation that you're looking for because your analytical thinker is going to be very uncomfortable. Remember we talked about putting your, your boss on the defensive. This is a, <laughs> the biggest way yep. to put him on the defensive, right? Yeah, and this is why objectivity and making that solid plan we talked about are so important. You have to be so solid that you're not giving them any reason to say no. So even outside of just emotion, it's taking it to the other direction, which is, all right, if I were them, how are they going to evaluate this? And then presenting it that way. Right, right. Even if it feels a little contrary to how you would normally feel it. And then and that actually helps you to approach it in a little bit more of an objective way too, totally. right? Yep. So it's a little bit more refined. It's a little bit more... You, know, you have to practice it a little bit so you're not as 
knee jerky on the, the the words that you use and you're it's just more prepared yes right? totally the next one is don't become the mom or the caretaker I, this can definitely compromise your effectiveness. This is a natural place for women to go. It's like, well, if I can't, you know, get to them in here, I'm just going to bring a bunch of cookies in. Mm. I'm going to get to them that way. Do not do that. That totally undermines your authority. Next is divide to conquer. So find a couple of men you can bond with and let them be your advocate to the broader group. But don't play them against one another. Just you can't break the bro code. I mean, that will be really, really bad. But you can get some allies that can help you in these conversations and help break some of the ice. Yep. And finally, resist getting romantically involved with any of them. That's also can tend to be a, a big temptation. That but should go without. It's a big no-no. Needing to be said, but it's not always the case. So yeah. Fair point. And this may require you to really like take a deep look into your personal brand and your tendencies and, and really uncover where some of these may be showing up in ways that are not conducive to helping you build your goals and your dreams. And really developing more action-oriented plans for how you're going to deal with those tendencies. I totally agree. I mean, I think this is a great list. And I also think that it's pretty tactical in nature. And I think this is one of the things that people struggle with is like, I want to do it, but how? And so I think this is a good list to come back and reference if you feel like things are getting out of whack or you're not really sure how to get out of the situation. This is broad enough that I think it can apply no matter the situation. Yeah, agreed. All right. The fourth point of how to thrive as a female in a male-dominated work environment is to raise other females. April. Yeah, we've talked about this one before, um, actually very specifically on our episode of the four biggest mistakes women leaders make in managing other women. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and the point here is that sometimes when women rise, instead of bringing other women behind us, we adopt the alpha female syndrome that it can be only be us and we're at the top, et cetera, et cetera. They have to put in their work, all of those types of things. It makes sense in one aspect because we've agonized our way through it. We feel like they should too, and we see it as a reward. And because we had to grow our way out, we start thinking it has to be the rite of passage for all other females. But this isn't going to do anything to help shift the mindset for our gender in male-dominated environments because we're still the one and only. Right. <laughs> so it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We're the only one looking around that room again. So really... What we need to do instead is think about it as a responsibility to make it better for other women. And this doesn't mean you're going to totally flip the culture all by yourself as one woman, but there's power in numbers. The more that we can bond as females through a network that lifts each other up, the better we will be. So how do we do this? You take leadership positions where you can influence the culture. You become part of a team that's in charge of talent acquisition. You take new female leaders under your wing. You make sure that they feel supported. You make sure they have appropriate growth plans and coaches and mentors. Every woman is going to have to go through their own level of trailblazing that we can promise. Just don't Make them start over Mm -hmm. and reblaze the trail that you have already developed. And then also seek out other women that see things the way you do, even if they're not in your company. Yeah. I recently connected two really strong women to each other. And after one of them sent me a note that said, I feel so strong. Between the three of us, we could take over the world. 
this statement made me even more motivated to go do more of this because I was capitalizing on that energy from her. And it's really nice to realize you're not alone. And again, this is all about mindset shifting, right? Mm -hmm. And then shifting your behaviors. This is another one. It's not about being the only one. And in fact, I think not only are you setting yourself up for loneliness, but you're you're setting yourself up for being uncomfortable, I think, actually, if that's the way that I think about it. Like if you yes, you have to learn to orient yourself in a male dominated environment, but being the only one is not going to support you in the same way that you would be supported if you build this network. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think this is a huge one because only when we reach critical mass will we affect major change. Absolutely. I mean, and I said that in my lead up for P&G that until we have a significant amount of females in leadership positions, it's going to be very hard in order to continue to raise females in a way that is expeditious and efficient. And there is power in numbers. I mean, men taught us that, right? Yep. So the fact that we should be the only one in this position and, you know, we could pat ourselves on the back for the trailblazing in that way, that is all fantastic. And I'm not taking that away from anybody. But to not then bring others up behind you is, like, totally counterproductive to everything you just did. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't understand why we don't do more of this. I think we like to form our little women groups and think that we are mm. doing something in that. I can tell you that um, it always feels very soft. Yeah. It tends to feel very soft. It's more of an emotional support group than it is like, okay, an action oriented group. So I love it when, you know, women come out of these interactions and they say, I feel so strong. We can take on the world and we should mm -hmm. take on the world. But we have to unite all of that passion together in in order to lift everything up all at once. When it's only happening in little pockets, it's not creating enough mass and enough fuel to actually lift. So it just dilutes it. So if we could all come together, we can all make this happen in a much more magnificent way. Agree. All right. So just to recap, how to thrive as a female in a male-dominated work environment. Don't defer your power. Men are from a different planet. Do not seek out your validation from them. Seek it out from the impact you're generating. Second, don't play the victim. There's no doubt about it. It can totally suck being in an environment that is male-dominated, but you have two choices. Accept the reality and deal with it or get out. Third is to play the game. This is in recognizing that business is a game with defined rules. Failure to recognize this means you will struggle to achieve your goals and dreams for your career. And finally, raise other females. Only when we reach critical mass will we affect major change. There's power in numbers. Men have taught us that. Right. And our next segment is in the trenches where we give real world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad applications for all of you guys to digest and put into action. And this is going to be interesting because I'll probably get into some very specific examples. All right. So are you saying that I shouldn't care if my level, title or pay are lower than my male counterparts? April. Of course, I get this one. <laughs> I am 1000 percent. We are 1000 percent not saying that. You should totally be fairly leveled and compensated. What we're saying is that if you approach the conversation from the standpoint of seeking validation from a person who's from another planet, like we've been saying, your chances of succeeding are low. And really specifically, the wrong tone for these conversations will play into stereotypes like disgruntled female, whiny, bitchy, overly emotional. And it will put your boss on his heels as he's forced to play defense and then defend his actions. And since stylistically, again, you're not matching up with the way he or his currency and the way he communicates, it's really hard for him to respond in kind. 
But when you stand in the position of power, which is the impact you're generating, it's hard to deny that. That's why we said before, you know, while they're over there doing whatever, you're building your plan and executing it and being flawless in your work and driving things forward, right? This conversation sounds totally different. It's more focused on the business than it is on you. It focuses on how essential you are as a member of that team, and it gives you strength to negotiate, again, in the language that he is speaking. If the business loses you, the business suffers. That should be the key takeaway in that negotiation, in that conversation as you're trying to get yourself to whatever, salary level, et cetera. And also we have another episode on positioning yourself for promotion, which can help you really build this narrative if that's the situation that you're in. But in either case, again, remember you need to speak in terms of what he's going to be receptive to, not to the stereotypes that exist in our genders. Yeah, I think that's all very well said. I mean, it's all about playing the game again, and it's recognizing what the rules of the game are. And if you really want that promotion, if you really want the pay, if you really want the title, you need to go have the conversation about those direct things, but you need to position it from the point of your power. And your point of your power is the impact you're generating. That was the why. When we said, if your why is bigger than just you, you tend to be more brave. And the why in uh, in two aspects, one of trailblazing and leading the way, but also the why in the context of what you're doing for your consumers, your customers, and your clients. That becomes the way that you are able to position this and make an extremely compelling case for why you deserve that level, that title, that pay, right? And don't give up. I mean, the the first conversation is going to be very tough. It's Mm -hmm. not, it may not even go anywhere. You have to keep on following up. You have to keep on being a little bit of the the greasy wheel, right? You need to be able to- squeaky wheel. Oh, yeah. The squeaky wheel (laughs) versus the greasy wheel. I don't know where that was coming from. I think it was like the squeaky wheel gets to grease, but- in, in that aspect, that's true here. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times we're, we feel really bad when we're like feeling like we're being annoying, right? Where we're like asking for too much or maybe we're asking for more than we think we deserve. Like th- all those are not rules of the game. Mm-hmm. They're not rules of the game. So and think about it. If you were a man in that position, what do you think that man was going to get too? Mm-hmm. you know? So if you need a little bit of fire in your belly in order to go do that, I would think about it in that way. That should put some fire into a lot of people's bellies. Agreed. All right. Second in the trenches question. I can totally appreciate what you're saying, but it's just not me to be so bold and outspoken. What should I do? Now, as we said many times when we talk about personal brands, you know, you can't change your characteristics. I mean, they are what make you you. So we also say, though, your characteristics are neither good or bad. It's how they show up that defines if they're working to move you towards your goals or away from your goals. And so this is a really big introspection that you need to do, right? It's fine if you're not a type A personality. Like me and April are both type A's. You've heard it on this podcast. We will stand up. We will be very vocal. Mm-hmm. A lot of women are not like that. And that's totally fine. But I have seen women who are way more reserved and quiet but are extremely affected. And the reason why is because they still exude that confidence. They still meet all of the criteria that we've said about how to show up with presence And they can, like, stare somebody down. Um, I've seen it happen. They can just stare you down. They can raise one eyebrow, and you're like, "Uh oh, that person's in trouble. They, I mean, there's a lot of ways of being able to deliver the kind of confidence that you need to deliver without having to be a bold and outspoken person. It's just not okay not to do anything and just kind of, like, you know, be a wallflower Mm -hmm. because you feel uncomfortable in that scenario. Well, and honestly, because I am type A, I've always admired these types of people. That quiet control, I mean, 
I wish I knew how to do it. I've always been totally puzzled by it. Yeah, I can't do it. It is amazingly effective. That sort of quiet force is always one to be reckoned with because they see the forest from the trees and they're always a sound voice of reason and calm and they're really consistent mm-hmm. in the way that they do that. My friend Melinda's like this and she's in a leadership role as a female. She sits back and she listens and she watches and then I'm always waiting for the mic to drop and her to just peace out. And it happens every time. <laughs> <laughs> so it is possible. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's it's very admirable. I, I have a ton of admiration for women who could do that, too. One way that we've coached others to be able to kind of embrace a little bit more, like, swagger or confidence is we say, you know, try adopting an alter ego. Right? <laughs> April's going to laugh at this. This but, is a stretch for me, I'll be honest, but go ahead. But, you know, there's different there's different degrees, there's degrees. of alter ego, I, it's right? It's yeah. So, you know, Beyonce has Sasha Fierce, right? <laughs> That's her alter ego. So spend some time, and if you don't like it, you can always, like, you know, decide, decide not to do this, disregard it, but, you know, this might work for you. So visualize how you want to be within this alter ego. Give your alter ego a name. Give it a personality, all right? Just totally live into this. Now, the trick is, is that it needs to actually come from you in order to be authentic. You can't be somebody that you're not. Otherwise, it just becomes a persona. And yep. personas like very fake. People can read through those personas. So, for example, let me give you a little bit of delineation here. If you are shy, an alter ego can help you be more like you are when you're comfortable with your friends, when you aren't feeling so shy, mm-hmm. right? So that's the alter ego you're going to address. It's not that you're always shy in every single situation. There's certain situations where you like feel very comfortable. Embrace that. Make that an alter ego for yourself. That's, now, on the other side of this, it doesn't work if you're going to totally, like, again, try to build a persona or try to go, like, way too far away. So if you're feeling like your alter ego wears, like, leather pants, a tight sweater, and red lipstick, um, that's probably not okay for a work environment necessarily, <laughs> especially if you're used to wearing, like, you know, something that's a little bit more casual than that, right? Or conservative. Or conservative, right? Yeah. So, like, you know, be very mindful of how you're shaping your alter ego. But if it helps you to really, like, embrace that confidence you need, then it's it's definitely something that can help in putting you in the right mindset to kind of, like, get that power, embrace that power. I mean, I, I love red. Red is my power color. If I'm feeling like I need the power, I'll wear something red, even if it's just red red lipstick. I mean, it's it's it definitely helps boost me. Now, I didn't go all the way to the alter ego presence for that, but there is, like, things that you can do to signal some power for yourself. And red is not my power color. Uh, my son likes to joke that my favorite color is gray, but that's not a real color. And gray might it's be not. my favorite color. He just says, like, I'm basically he thinks I'm copping out. Oh, but oh, anyway, gray is not a real color. Gray is not a real color. Yeah. Oh. So anyway, so color is not my thing, obviously. But it's funny. I I really, until Anne brought this up, hadn't thought about myself in terms of an alter ego. And to her point, there are degrees, right? But what I will say is when I feel like I have a lot of swagger on any given day, it's when I feel like I'm dressed smartly. Mm. And uh, to take that even further, I feel like I'm always striving for a certain level of polish. And so... Even if I'm taking Mia to school and I don't have any makeup on my face, it's still important to me that, like, my hair's pulled back nicely mm-hmm. and that I'm not wearing my pajama pants. You know, like, and that's an extreme, right? But I feel like being put together in my person means being put together in my appearance. And there's different levels of that depending on what the, on what the situation dictates. And that would be, I think, how my potential alter ego flexes. And when the two match up, that's when I'm at my very best. 
Yeah. I think that's a good example. I mean, it's, I mean, we talk about the power outfit a lot. Um, mm-hmm. That's not just female oriented, but it, it there is something about that that is any kind of self-signaling to yourself, whether mm-hmm. it's like a little quote that you've written on your notebook or a certain bracelet you wear yeah. or anything that's going to give you that kind of like that feeling that you can take your power back and you yep. can live within that power. Those totally work. All right. The third in the trenches question. You said I need a why in order to stand in my power. How do I find that? All right. So this is a really, really good question. And me and April are both going to give some perspective on this. So I coach folks to look at two areas of their life. I ask them to look in their work side, and I ask them to look in their non-work side or their kind of or their life side, right? And I ask them to really address these questions and journal them. These questions are, where and when do they have the most fulfillment? When do they feel totally engaged? When do they feel like they are adding value? How do they know they're adding value? Because it's really important to be able to see success. And how do they feel when they're in these situations? So when this person does this, and I think about the two different aspects of their life, there's generally some themes that emerge. And these themes become the basis of your why. They're almost always, for women, centered around an area of delivering impact or some sort of positive impact. It's like... I, I can't tell you how many times when women were kind of getting tired of P&G and you said, well, what do you want to go do? They're like, oh, I made me want to be a therapist or I want to be a teacher. Like it's, it mm-hmm. always was like gravitating back to an area where they felt like they could deliver more impact. Mm-hmm. So recognize that and honor that, you know, and realize that, you know, it's not necessarily taking what you are actually passionate about in your actual life and making that your work. So for example, you know, I feel very creative. Like I like being creative. Um, when I'm in my most fulfilled, I'm being doing some level of creative thing, you know, that doesn't mean that hobby has to become something that I monetize. Mm-hmm. It just means that, hey, if this is really where I'm finding fulfillment, maybe I should make sure that my work has some level of creativity associated with it. Mm-hmm. So I feel very secure and I feel power in what I'm doing and that what I'm doing is fully leveraging my passions and my intent and it's delivering some level of impact that I can feel very proud of. Yeah. I mean, I I think that all, first of all, I love those questions. I mean, I found myself when we were drafting this episode going down the path of answering them and I was like, get back on track. You're distracting yourself. (laughs) And you're supposed to always give your own perspective. So what are you doing? (laughs) Your own journaling exercise to do. So yeah, I made a note. Maybe I should go back to that. So, you know, there you go. We follow our own advice. I like it. Um, And and I do something similar in, in coaching people, but I'm more of a fan of providing them an assignment especially if they're really struggling, I guess, mm-hmm. that really breaks it down because this is what works for me when I start to swirl in my head. So one thing I'm a big fan of is assigning people the task of noting down for a week or two moments in each day when they're extremely happy and have mm-hmm. a lot of energy and moments where their energy wanes or they feel like they have to muscle through something. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not to say that you're going to be able to do all the things that give you energy and none of the things that don't. But what I'm trying to get them to do is be very present and notice those things so that then they can go and answer a lot of the questions yeah, that, I like you've, that you've listed here. Mm-hmm. Um And again, I think this is just something that when I'm having a hard time going back to the basics in any situation is a good way for me to get myself back on track. And again, like Anne, it's personal and professional. So really specific example, for me, I hate folding laundry. 
hate it. <laughs> it sucks all the joy out of me, all my energy, and it makes me super snippy. So when my husband and I were reorienting how to share household responsibilities as we have two kids, I gave him all the laundry. He's assigned that. And he's actually fine with it. And he actually finds it cathartic. So, you you know, so there you go. And that's a dumb example. But, I mean, it can be something as simple as that, right? Like, we've talked about having cleaning people before. I cannot spend four to eight hours on a weekend cleaning my entire house, especially given the fact that I have young children who I'm constantly picking up after, which also also already sucks my energy, right? So that's another thing where I'm like, I just can't do that anymore. On the other side... And this is going to be a big one for me. I've recently admitted to myself and my business partner, maybe she made me admit it to myself and her, that I find no joy anymore in building decks. Which is a tedious thing like folding laundry. Yes. So there's a theme. Like Some of these things are not like obvious, but when you start kind of like thinking about Why? them as themes, yeah. it's like it's a tedious task. Yeah. And actually... To be perfectly frank, building decks was not always tedious for me, which mm. is why it was hard. Like, I was trying to find the joy again in doing that. And then through my personal therapy with Anne, <laughs> I, I came to the realization. She was like, okay, so let's just be like very clear. This is how we coach our clients, right? You can do this as you have proven on all these occasions. You are resisting doing this. Why do you think that is? And I was like, because I hate it. And then it was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. There we go. Look at that. I don't want to be doing that anymore. Right. And on the other hand of a good, you know, on the other side of a good partnership and does enjoy doing de- decks. So we're I do. transitioning that to her and the others on our team that assist us. And there you go. And on the other side of that, my I'm. While I think that my why could get bigger than it is, certainly, my bigger why as it exists right now is in connecting people and cultivating relationships. And I know that a lot of people say this, but I know that for myself, when I lean into this as a driving force in everything I do and thinking through all the decisions I'm making with that kind of as the basis in mind, I see the bigger world and the opportunities and where I can feel most fulfilled. And I think that for me identifying that happened in doing some of the exercises we're talking about here, right? And so Anne just identified for me, I don't like tedious stuff. I don't. It's the same reason I hate traffic. I'm like, I'm Mm -hmm. sitting here and I have nothing to do, right? And so that's one of my triggers. That's one of the things. But on the other side of that, I've always been a fan of building relationships and connecting people. But until I admitted to myself that I did have a hard time when lots of my worlds would collide, I had to get over that and figure out how to do that and go back to the basics of redefining my why in order to make that bigger. And so like with our mastermind Mm -hmm. group, it was a lot of my people coming together that didn't know each other. And that caused me a lot of stress. Right. My birthday party was this past Saturday and it was all my people in various forms. Right. And so getting over that has helped me again, see the bigger picture of how to connect people in a more intentional way. And I've re-realized how much energy and fulfillment I get out of bringing people together. It's like it's scaling now for me, because, but I also have to keep going back when I feel stuck. Well, yeah, and I think you made a really good telegraphic point of getting out of your own way yeah. to some extent, right, too. is yeah. like, because some of these, like, they do collide. Like, the reason why you didn't want to give over the decks is because you felt extreme amount of con- you know, control and need Are and responsibility. Me a control freak. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> I'm like, this is not new news, April. So, um, but there is an element of that where it was like, I, I can't get rid of it, yeah. right? You know, yeah. but you have to recognize that 
that is a choice that you're making not to get rid of it. And if you could get rid of it, then what opens up yeah, that, that, that you're not allowed now you can yep. have the space and the time and energy to go do because not only do you not have all the negative energy pulling down you have like an abundance of you know well, my abundance but some extra free time and yeah. some extra like mind space and emotional capacity to go and explore hey what do i want to do with this mm-hmm. and and what is my why that allows me to get away from the control in order to do this. And your why is in connecting people. And even most recently, you know, we've talked about our why and one reason why we're doing this episode as being, you know, having a responsibility to other women to show them that there is a different path, mm-hmm. right? That uh, they may not think is a, a traditional path, but to know that, again, they're not alone and that there's other women who are going down a more non-traditional path and are able to succeed yep. and, and thrive in it. So being the example of what we continue to preach. So, where this is highly vulnerable and we're putting ourselves in a very vulnerable state, it's it, we we have to do it. We feel yeah. compelled to do it because our why and the impact we want to generate is so much bigger than you know our our, our feelings of vulnerability yes. that you know might hold us back from having to do it. Right? Totally. Yeah. All right. So our fourth in the trenches question: What if the environment is just too toxic? Do I need to leave? <laughs> I always give these to April. God. All right. So remember, we said. Your choices are you can accept the reality and deal with it or you can get out. That is your choice. But we also said don't be a victim. Now, with that being said, sometimes the best choice is to get out. Yeah. It, it, and we said before, we've both been in this situation and we've gotten out. It is completely acceptable to say, I tried. This is not for me. And I am leaving. There is no shame. There is no judgment. Life is way too short to be miserable However, be informed to think through it logically and not react emotionally. And what we mean here is, number one, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's just different grass. You've heard us say that before. Now, you know what you don't want, right? So make sure that your questions are tuned to better vet other companies. In other Mm -hmm. words, don't end up in the same situation that might just be a different flavor of that situation. Make sure that you're very intentionally seeking something out so that the grass can be greener on the other side, if that's what you're trying to do. The second one is don't run. Make sure you're making the decision from a position of power. Like I said, not emotionally, not because you're mad, not because you're all fired up, whatever it is. When you're running from something, the tendency is to make rash poor decisions. I've also been here. I was working for an organization. It was not going so well. It was a different reason. They were going to go out of business and there was a lot of stress associated Mm -hmm. with that. But I chose my next position poorly Mm -hmm. and then had to do a redo. Yeah. (laughs) So don't run. Like we said before, the male-dominated culture that frustrates many of us has come from hundreds of years of programming. This change is going to take time. You need to be persistent, but you also have to be patient. And this is why you have to decide really introspectively what can you put up with, what should you put up with. And if things aren't lining up, it may be time to go. And I'm a big fan of lists. We all know this, right? Mm -hmm. OCD, control freak, we've already covered. Um, This is both for staying and going. So prioritize what's on those lists, right? Again, to answer those questions of what can you put up with, what will you not put up with, make your list of all the reasons to stay, all the reasons to go, and then the new opportunity, right, if you have Mm -hmm. one or what you're looking to do, and then number them. What's one, two, and three? 
And so once you have that, that can be a very objective look at your threshold and what the right decision might be. It will also help you stay out of what we were just saying around signing up for the same situation in a different way, right? If the pain points are going to be the same, probably not the best next decision. But again, don't play the victim. You are in charge of your reality. You are the one that has to make the decision. Make sure it's the right one. Yeah, and I think when you – I like the idea of the list, too, because I think it can be therapeutic. Oh, totally. Right? It, it actually puts what's in your mind and your emotions down on paper so that you can actually see them and internalize mm-hmm. them. So there's something very powerful about being able to do that. Also, it's a way for me to tire myself out. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it does, like, dissipate the emotion, too, for yeah. sure. Um, sometimes with a glass of wine always helps, just saying. <laughs> but I also think that I, – I, what I want people to take away from this is that you should not feel shame – If you decide that it is not the right place for you, like we're not saying that you need to be rah-rah, fix every place that you're at and endure everything you are for the sake of all the other women to come. You need to pick and choose your battles, Mm -hmm. and but they need to be battles that are very hinged in your why and then use that as your mantra for how you're going to act. You might find that where you're at isn't the most conducive place to being able to execute your why or be able to feel fulfilled. That is totally fine. Like April said, life is too short. There's no reason to be miserable. And for the sake of, you know, just trying what you think you're going to get a gold star and become a (laughs) martyr, it's just not (laughs) worthwhile. Do what you can learn from the situation, but then use that as a way to better inform yourself for the next one. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's exactly right. I, I think there's nothing to be gained by playing the martyr. That's what I will say. And you will just continue to toil. And that's not good for anybody. And so I'm a huge fan. And also, it's easy to put yourself down because a situation didn't work out. Right. Even though objectively and logically you know that it's not good. So you've got to get yourself out of that swirl yeah. before it's a permanent scar versus Agreed. just a situation you're in. Yeah, it's taking that baggage with you can be detrimental to the next yep. one too. Yeah. All right, our third and final segment is a real-world example of a business, a person we've experienced recently using or not using their marketing smarts, and we call this Marketing Smarts Moments. All right, this is not going to be a good one. I was going to say, somebody's in trouble. Yeah, somebody's in big trouble. (laughs) All right, so I'm calling out today Milesplit, or their parent company is called Flowsport, and I'm calling them out because they have a very broken cancellation opt-out policy, and I found this absolutely infuriating. So if you do this as a business, just shame on you. Just shame Mm -hmm. on you. Okay. So let me give you a little bit of context. So um, the only way to watch my daughters run in the state meet because we were at April's sister's wedding (laughs) (laughs) was to actually get a subscription to Miles Split and it's cost $25 a month. There was nothing, no no option in order just to watch like one race. You had Mm -hmm. to sign up for a subscription. So I did it, and I bought it, and I canceled it the next day. Or so I thought, right? I went through all the cancellations. I got this thing that said, why are you canceling? I clicked the button that said, okay, you know, got through a screen that said, cancellation's been processed, right? We're not going to bill you anymore. The next screen was like a 20% offer of like, oh, you just canceled. Do you want to come back for 20% off? I'm like, I just canceled. So I just exited out of that whole entire screen. The next month I get a bill and it's $25 a month. I'm like, I thought I canceled this. Went through the whole process again. Third month, got another bill. I'm like, what is up with this? I'm like, I've canceled this now twice. 
So I called them. And you said push two in order to like um, deal with billing or subscriptions. I pushed two and said, you will have to email us. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious right now? There's not even a person to take the call. So I'm like, if they're funneling you to email, that must mean the call volume is actually very high, uh-huh. right? It's a big red flag. So I did. I emailed. And I said, hey, I've now canceled this three times. Here's the screens I went through. Why is this not canceled? And they said, oh, you're still enrolled. I'm like, I know. I'm trying to cancel it. And I never got any kind of explanation. But when I finally went through for the fourth time, I happened to like scroll down that 20% off screen. And at the very bottom in very fine print said, no, thank you. Continue with my cancellation. Oh. And I was like, are you guys got to be kidding me? So you're baiting and switching me. So you're you're, you're actually like sitting there telling me it's, it's basically done. You put this ad on, which does not include to me that that the process is still mm-hmm. in going Especially on. Especially because they said you've been canceled. Yeah, it says you will, you know, you won't pay, you'll pay like $16 left of this month and then you'll be done, right? And I was like, okay, so that to me is a final thing. Do not do this to your customers, you guys. It's not worth trying to manipulate and trick your customers to staying in your process for an extra $25 a month. Nope. Now, I know these guys probably don't really care because they have a captive audience. So, yeah, if you want to watch, you know, your your kids run, then you have to do this. And so they're like, eh, she's mad. Who cares? Whatever. But now I'm on this podcast, which a lot of people listen to. And I'm saying if you are doing a race, if you're doing a meet, organizing a meet, do not hire these guys to actually do your production and to facilitate this for you. First of all, the production was really bad. It's a small track. They had one camera set up. And in a 4 by 200 meters where the track, that's track happened to be at 300 meters, the people go around pretty quick, but mm-hmm. they only kind of kept it on one like part. But mm-hmm. there was a, they were kind of spread out. So you're not seeing it. So you're not, you're yeah, not seeing thing. like, yeah. you know, basically everybody running, right? So they didn't like actually track it very well. It was it was actually not well done. And now, because I am so irritated by the way that they did not cancel it, I'm like telling everybody, do not hire these people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, after five emails, which my last one saying, are you seriously, this is how you guys handle your customer service, that were responded by, by five different people, which not one of them could take a phone call, I guess. I finally got, they gave me a refund of one month. Oh, geez. And so I was like, and then and, and we know what the end of it said. We hope you come back. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you guys? So, all right, make sure that if people want to opt out, they really are able to opt out. Yep. I mean, this is a really, really bad practice, you guys. Do not do this. I, I don't care if you feel like you have a captive audience and it doesn't matter. Eventually, it will catch up with you. Uh, yeah. Well, and I think they're taking advantage of the pop-up ad situation and what we're used to. Like, to me, this feels highly, highly intentional, which makes it, it that does. much worse. Especially when it was in such tiny... Yeah. I mean, you had to scroll. Yeah. It was not even on your screen. Yeah. 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 It nope. was bad business. Exactly. All right. So just to recap, how to thrive as a female in a male-dominated work environment. Don't defer your power. Men are from a different planet. Do not seek out your validation from them. Seek it out from the impact you are generating. Second, don't play the victim. There's no doubt about it. It can totally suck being in an environment that's male-dominated. But you have two choices. Accept the reality and deal with it or get out. Third is play the game. This is in recognizing that business is a game with defined rules. Failure to recognize this means you will struggle to achieve your goals and dreams for your career. And finally, raise other females. Only when we reach critical mass will we affect major change. There's power in numbers, and men have taught us that. Being a forthright woman can be challenging on a good day. 
which is why we offer individual and group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes. Check out our website, forthright-women.com to learn more. If you find this podcast of value, please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman.